four. Uh, give me a second. I'm going to click go live. All right. We are, we are now live. So uh, welcome everybody to episode four of the Catamount Trail Chatter Series. Uh, tonight, I'm sitting down with Vermont Huts Association founders, RJ Thompson and Devin Littlefield. Uh, as they approach their fifth year in existence, uh, we're going to talk to them a little bit to find about, out about how they came to be, how the last five years have gone, and kind of what the future holds. So welcome, Devin and RJ. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, thanks for being here. So uh, let's jump in. Um, where, where are you guys from, and what are your roles within the Vermont Huts Association? What do you guys do? What do we do? What do we do? Uh, we do everything. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Um, also, I guess, I'll, so I, where am I from? Like, where do I live right now? Or where did I grow up? Well, how about, yeah, I mean, so how about, uh, yeah, where do you live right now? Uh, I live in Stowe right now, uh, by way of uh, New Jersey and Jackson Hole. So, um, uh, and how long, how long have you been in Vermont? Uh, since 2002 minus uh, three year stint in Jackson Hole. Okay, so you're, you're, you've been around for a little while. Long enough to lose most of my hair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Devin, you're a slightly newer uh, transplant. Uh, I am. Long, how, where are you located right now and, and how long have you been in Vermont? Uh, so I live in South Burlington and I've actually only been a Vermont resident for, ooh, I think six years, maybe seven. And really not much longer than, you know, you know co-founding the organization with RJ. I, I kind of transplanted and I'm like, I have this idea, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah I, it, I, do rem I do remember that first time meeting you at the, um, the Backcountry Forum. And I feel mm -hmm. like there was a presentation that night about huts. And you were like, is there any, is this, is there any organization dedicated to huts? And I was like, not yet. <laughs> and like the next time your name came up, it was like, hey, the, the Vermont Huts Association is coming together. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's a it's a wild ride. I'm excited to share more about that. But for sure, yeah, I moved to, I moved to Vermont about six years about six years ago, and uh, the organization got started shortly thereafter. But um, you know, similar to RJ, I by way of Alaska actually was where I spent and uh, grind got my teeth uh, sharpened in terms of huts. But uh, yeah, then been then to Vermont. So awesome. So yeah. what are you guys? What are you guys' roles within uh, the Vermont Hut Association? Kind of like world. Uh, so I'm the uh, when we first started, we were co-executive directors actually back in uh, 2016, and that was that was kind of because we didn't really know what we were doing, and we didn't really know uh, what what shape this was going to take. Um, I guess shortly thereafter, I became the executive director, just uh, time, you know, the way time was. And, um, you know, Devin had a, a full-time gig uh, at the, at that moment. And I was kind of in transition from one career to the next. And it, it just kind of worked out that way. And um, yeah, I, my role is, is uh, just wearing like many small nonprofit EDs and employees is just wearing as many hats um, that I can balance on my head at any given point in time. Yeah, and for me, uh, director of marketing. But um, yeah, like RJ just said, it, it's uh, it's about a hundred different hats. It feels like sometimes it's uh, it's definitely busy workload and and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of responsibilities for sure. I think you know, definitely we manage a lot of the, you know, even the email communications for folks who need reservation changes, those come in and, and I know even RJ is still handling, you know, good chunk of those. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're both just doing whatever we need to at this point. <laughs> nice. And so are you both, are you guys both full-time with VHA or do you guys have other gigs? Uh, so RJ is, I actually do work a, uh, another full-time gig as well. I mean, over time, I think we're, we're trying to figure out what the balance is going to be for, you know, the needed positions for the organization, but you know, it, it's really, I will say it's sweet to be having my hands actually in a, even in a, in a, another company as well as with Vermont huts. Cause I feel like I just share so much information back and forth. Digital marketing is digital marketing, whether it's a nonprofit or not. So it's definitely fun to, Fun, I'd say, to be in both at this point. 
That's great. Yeah, and I'm, I'm imagining that those resources that you get from the, the other job come in handy for like supplementing <laughs> your role. Absolutely. So. Oh my gosh, even even just learning about some of the the online ad grants that are available, like boom, super helpful. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Devin's. It's great to have Devin uh, involved in any capacity because um, I like the things that I just can't wrap my head around or like used to be able to wrap my head around, but now the times are like changing more. It makes me feel really old. Um, Devin is like on point and <laughs> um, knows how to, to meet those needs and make sure that we remain relevant and come up pretty much first or second in any SEO search. So you can thank Devin for, for that. <laughs> nice. Awesome. So yeah. how, did, how did the two of you meet? Uh, through Amy, through your previous yeah. boss, Amy Kelsey. Yeah. We, we were having parallel conversations with her and she, she brought us together. So what were those conversations? So you, so tell, tell me about that time. Like you guys were both thinking this similar thoughts at the same time and having those conversations with various trails organizations and, and Amy happened to be the one that connected you two. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I'll, I'll let Devin speak to his experience, but when I was, um, I was invited to an FPR like stakeholders, like brainstorming session back in 2015 or 2016. I can't remember when, but um, you know, Amy was there and I was invited because I was uh, putting on some events for with Native Endurance, a company that I, I started a few years back and um, was talking about, you know, a hut, just one, I really was just talking about one hut in like Nebraska Valley somewhere. And, um you know why why we didn't really have anything like that beyond like Bryant Camp and, and Bolton Lodge etc I think back then even Bolton Lodge was maybe still not a thing and Bryant was in the process of being restored um yeah and then she said well you know what like I think I think you should probably meet this guy Devin because he just like I just talked to him recently and I don't know what you what your conversation was like with, with Amy Devin yeah so actually it was it, it's definitely similar tangent um you know, I moved to Vermont and I think Greg, as you mentioned before, I, I was at the backcountry forum and I'm like, Greg, where are the huts? And he's like, no, we don't have any, man. And I'm like, ah, I gotta go, gotta go start something, you know, and fresh, <laughs> fresh into this state. I'm like, yeah, I'll just change everything and we can just put a bunch of huts in the ground and it'll be fine. Um, but no, ultimately, I think I actually, you know, I ended up having several conversations with Amy just about this idea of huts. And she helped fill me in on, you know, like the Green Mountain Club having some structures of their own. And, you know, just a lot of a lot of Joe Schmoes who have deer camps, right, or hunting camps that they use. And they just stay in them during the winter sometimes. And she filled me in in, in that way. And then it actually... I think one step prior to meeting RJ, I ultimately ended up pulling together basically a list of Airbnbs, inns, like huts, other hut structures <laughs> that I think could be found, right? It was super kind of ghetto. And it was basically, I, I remember giving a, a small presentation, I think to Amy Kelsey at the time, uh, uh, executive director at Catamount Trail, um, the Green Mountain Club board and several other members. And I presented this list to them and I'm like, hey, I, you know, there's a need for huts in Vermont. What do you guys think? Give me some info. And they're like, it's a great idea. Maybe you should go do something about it. And <laughs> you know, that I think that's right when Amy, I at least as I recall it, that's when Amy was like, oh, by the way, Archie, this guy is doing some research. You, you, uh, you two need to meet up and get a beer and talk. And, so we did, and and uh, here we are now, five years later, and and crushing it. That, yeah, the, the the first meeting I remember was at was at the Green Mountain Club. So thanks to GMC, they've always been a really great partner of ours from the start, and um, they hosted you know the, the meeting of the quote unquote minds, um, and yeah, it was it was cool. We met with uh, Amy. I think Angus was there, Brian Moore was there, Dave Hardy from the Green Mountain Club was there, and Devin and I, that, that, I think maybe that was it. So there was, there was representation from like the hiking community, skiing Mike community, Tabanis. biking community. Was Mike, mm -hmm. Mike was also there? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, at, at that, out of that meeting, you know, the, the kind of takeaway was, you know, none of the existing organizations, um, 
it would be a pretty significant, it would have been a significant mission drift for any of the one organizations to take on a, a year round hut network. And that's when um, the question was asked, well, so who wants to do, who wants to do this? <laughs> and De Devin and I had stupidly raised our hands and here we are. <laughs> and it's turned out to, it feels like I haven't worked in five years because I absolutely love what we're doing. So. Yeah. So after that, after that initial meeting, when the two of you raised your hand and everybody else was like, gave you the thumbs up and said, go for it. Like, what was your, what did, what was that? What was the first step? Like, what did you guys do to like get this to get we, started? We did, we took your, we took your awesome research project, Evan, I remember. And we kind of, I think we tried to overlay that with existing trail networks and stuff to see if there was any real alignment with a lot of those like Airbnb stuff. And we just, it was kind of like a continued research project uh, for the first like six months, I think maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. And we, we just were like, yeah, that's why there's no hut network because there's, <laughs> there's no huts near any of the trails. So uh, validated uh, the idea. And then we got to work partnering with other trail chapters across the state, trying to figure out where it would might make sense to start locating some of these structures. Yeah, there were also there were also some other logistical conversations that RJ and I had about like, well, should this be a for-profit or a non-profit entity? You know, should we be a chapter of say like Vemba or something like that? Like the, it ended up coming through several iterations of conversations before we got to that point of saying, you know, this is really a unique, it, it's a unique organization in Vermont that, you know, it, it would, like RJ said, be mission drift for any other any other org so it, it's probably best to be on our own let's let's start our own thing and move forward and and um yeah i mean one i think once we knew that we were going nonprofit, you know we were document signed and and up and running officially within the matter of what seemed like probably a month or two if i remember right rj it was pretty fast yeah we yeah we used for for those uh who who care about legal stuff we used Jimba as a corporate sponsor until we received our official 501c3 uh determination letter from the irs and our first grant was from the lintelac foundation so shout out to them and they continue to support us which is amazing especially during a pandemic um yeah those guys are those guys are awesome yeah they're, they're great and, uh, you know, that, that was, that was that. It, it, it felt like, a I remember the thing, Dad, I remember we, we were talking about how long it was taking to get that determination letter from the IRS. Oh my God. We were like, <laughs> government's taking forever. Rah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, of course, uh, we're really good partners with the Green Mountain National Forest. So um, federal government is actually um, pretty incredible at a lot of things, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything, I think, I feel like everything just takes longer when there are so many stakeholders, right? Like, I, I think that's something, I think that's something that a lot of people looking in from the outside don't realize just like how much work some of these projects take, like, you know, like with our, you know, our work with Rostin, Brandon Gap, people, it, it seemed like it came out of nowhere, but a lot of people don't realize how much time, how much energy was spent years leading up to that. Yeah. There's yeah. stuff that'll be happening in Camel Sump for us sooner or later once that management plan goes through and people i don't think people will realize that some of that stuff's been like eight or nine years <laughs> yeah how old is yeah. amy's son i mean that's about <laughs> no, exactly yeah it's crazy yeah. yeah yeah no these things take time so there's a lot of stakeholders everybody you know everybody needs to be heard and it's public land so so once you guys so once you guys de determined that you guys were you're going to do your own thing you're your own entity kind of like got your nonprofit, you headed down the, non, the, the independent nonprofit road. What, what, what were you looking at? What were you hoping like that first, you know, two, three years was going to be like? Um, what were some of your goals? I mean, like, what was your original plan? And does, you, and does, your, does the Vermont Huts Association today resemble that initial plan? Or were there, were there some changes to it? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to my here. Yeah, you see my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, you know, at first, you know, it was funny because having done that research project and, and being able to call out how many structures were actually in place, I think at the beginning we had a lot higher emphasis on let's just get existing structures in our network. And that was like, I don't think that was first and foremost on our minds, but it was certainly higher up at the time than it is like at this point, you know, obviously we still want partners to be approaching us and, and we want to approach them, but I think we were definitely 
a bit more focus on that approach to start with. And especially because there was a proven model like Airbnb and VRBO at the time, you know, that were very prominent at that time. So it's like, oh, we'll just poach all those guys and get and them so, onto our network and life will be good, you know? Yeah, like, so just, and just, so just to clarify what you, the model you're talking about is providing some sort of unique portal that would give, you know, a, somebody that was looking for access to everything in all hot structures in Vermont. And so if somebody yeah. owned like a yurt or something on like a property somewhere, they could join the network and rent yeah. out their hot via like an Airbnb model. And yep. you guys would provide that kind of platform. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'd be we effectively competing with Airbnb, which in some ways, I guess we are, right? We have structures in our network now that are, you know, they'd probably be just perfectly fine on Airbnb too. But the idea obviously being that it's it's a much more, I'd say, unified experience in in that you're gonna get that that more backcountry focus, connected by trail, like that that was really what we were going for. Um, and that's that was generally the mission that I think we we had more of a focus on starting out that's now definitely pivoted the other way yeah, so, and, yeah. Did, and was your emphasis on that just because it seemed like the easier path forward uh, <laughs> at the time or was it I think it was out of necessity like it, yeah like, you know what was out there and but the reality I mean the reality set in pretty quickly remember Devin we're like mm, we would need a like we would need a lot of these huts if we're gonna make this a sustainable organization. <laughs> like, uh, even if we're yeah. taking like twelve percent of of revenues, like the volume just wouldn't exist with trailside accommodations. Um, so then mm -hmm. the question was, okay, what? How can we become a sustainable organization and eventually rely less and less on grants um, so that those grants could be freed up, you know, for trail projects, et cetera. And we still rely on grants because we only really have one uh, one hut that is ours that we own and operate and generates revenue. But the, the pivot was hard. It was like, okay, we know there's really nothing out there that could provide the volume that we need. So let's start building some huts and stop talking about a concept and create um, a tangible product. And that's when we really, um, I think, ramped up. And it's uh, we took a risk for sure. We we committed to building a hut before we really had any money to build it. But thanks to like Vermonters and the, the foundations that are out there and people just wanting this to happen in general, we just, we just took that energy and channeled it into the Chidden Brook hut. And so how is, how's that project going so far? Can you, can you even, can you, is it even possible to reserve a night in it if you're not? <laughs> not this winter, no. <laughs> I mean, Definitely not the winter. Right. I mean, so we, you know, location is key, right, in real estate. And because Rasta had created, and pardon me, I'm starving, so I'm eating some granola, so don't judge. Yeah. Um, uh, the, you know, the, the backcountry access there contributes greatly to its popularity, but it's also a really beautiful structure and a pretty sweet spot. Um, so, yeah, it's it's super hard to get a reservation, um, which is good and bad, right? Like, we, we want to give as many people as we possibly can the opportunity to stay in that hut at an affordable price. And it is really affordable, but at the same time, you know, we need to build more huts to, to offer that opportunity to more people because it's hundred percent all winter. And as we saw last summer was near hundred percent in that season. So. Cool. Well, that's good. I mean, that's a good sign, right? You have this one structure you're kind of, it's kind of killing it. It's, you know, you, it, it kind of illustrates that the demand, the demand is there and people are interested in this kind of like concept. So what are you guys doing kind of like looking forward? Like, do you guys have, yeah, I mean, I've seen the, I've seen the proposed map of like where hot structures, but like what, how far along are some of those things and like, what's your next, is there anything on the horizon? Oh yeah. Well, I just wanted to say like, that's the one hut that we own and operate. There are seven um, locations across the state or sorry, eight total locations across the state um, that are also managed by our private operators. And they're seeing, they're seeing the same level of success um, at their structures. So it's not just isolated to our, you know, one hut, it's kind of across the board. Um, but to, yeah, to answer your question, um, the, that's the limit really. I mean, we're working very closely with, um, Belmont Trail Collective and obviously the Catamount Trail to try to strategically align on future hut locations. Um, the most, I guess, um, I guess, uh, 
alive and and uh, has the most momentum at the moment is a structure down in southern Vermont. Can't really, I mean, we could say it's going to be near Stratton. Um, we're, we're about to enter the silent round of fundraising. <laughs> so um, that's not very silent that I'm saying it during this um, yeah. podcast or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but but there, we're building at least one hut, new hut this year, hopefully two. Um, and the north-south corridor will be comprised of anywhere from 30 to 45 huts. In the, by in the end, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and, you're, uh, and you're and you're on track to build two, potentially two more huts by the end of 2021. At least one and two if permitting goes well. Awesome, that's exciting. And I'll speak to something that uh, you know I think both of you have said earlier too. Things take a lot longer than uh, than we could have ever recognized. And certainly, RJ, I I, I feel like you and I had really ambitious plans to be like, we're going to have like 10 structures in the ground in like five years. Uh, it's something, it was like something asinine like that, that just is, is not, <laughs> what? We've got eight. They're not all ours, but we've got eight. Right, right. But it's still like, I, I think the intent was we were going to build a ton of them in a very short period of time. And, you know, obviously just things take longer than we could ever expect. And, you know, and, and for good reason, I, you know, one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years, too, is that things, things, especially if it involves government, can tend to move slowly. But that's by design to try and make sure that enough voices are being heard and that things are being considered properly. Not just we're going to get a hut in the ground tomorrow and, you know, then suddenly realize, oh, shoot you know we're we're on a, uh, uh, we're endangering these species of frogs whatever it happens to be you know like there, there are reasons why there are steps in the process that kind of slow things down and i think in some ways it's actually good it's, it's allowed us i think to be more methodical about hut hut location choices and, and actually strategically trying to place huts you know that could uh, fit along the catamount trail as well as you know other other future plans in that regard and, and strategically locating them so it's been good, I think, to actually have that, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's really set the, I was going to say, it's that due diligence uh, across the board has really set a really strong foundation for, you know, I guess if we can say that we're hindering year five, like years six through 10, like we now know what needs to be done. And so we can get to a point where we are building like three, four and five huts per year toward the end of, of that time frame. So it's, um, it's, it's slow to start, but the, the snowball is, you know, growing and it's also picking up speed as it rolls down the hill. Yeah. And I do feel like, you know, especially now that we have some experience under our belts as an organization at this point, it, it definitely, I think it brings a sense of calm and ease to some folks because, you know, of course, any strategic partner, they want to see some longer term, you know, viability in that organization. And so just by the fact that we have been around five years, we now have kind of a showcase of huts that we've gotten started with. You know, now we have a little bit of history behind the organization. They know us, like RJ and I personally now. So it's a good, I think it's a, actually a good thing where we are right now. You know, it's not to say we've we've been too slow or, you know, gone too fast, but I think, you know, we're, we're at just the right point at this, at this point. We've got strategic relationships now with the organizations and partners that we need to. And uh, yeah, now it's just, now it's just we're getting our plan in motion and taking off. Well, exactly. I mean, I think it's like, it's building that clout, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you have, mm -hmm. when you're new, people don't know how committed are you? How invested are you? Are you guys going to be good leaders <clears throat> at this point in time? Like that's people know people have, there's, there's history there and they can read into that and they can see that you guys are doing a great job. There's demand. Uh, you understand what the process is. So now it just seems like it's just these, you have those feathers in your cap and you can like look back, you can use those to kind of like, you know, earn entry or, you know, move, push your way forward, which is, you know, I'm glad to see here it's going so well because, uh, yeah, if you think you're going to be building five plus huts a year in 10 years, that's going to be, or in five years, that's going to be sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, things are, I mean. No, no, you, no, no, no commitment, you know. No, no, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very possible. It's very possible. I, you know, it's not going to happen next year, but like I said, it, you know, it, the momentum is there and I think funding is, is of course a big part of the, the conversation, but um, there's a lot of really, um, it's, it's not just Devin and I working on this now. It's, it's a lot of other people who are 
um, a lot smarter than we are. So that's good too. <laughs> so so on the, on the, along those lines, is it's not if it's not just the two of you, who are these other people that are helping out? Are they part of the Vermont Huts Association or are they other organizations or just interested individuals that are um, wanting to see this happen? Yeah, no, they're people that we all like, no, I shouldn't say we all know, but it's, it's folks that, you know, organizations that um, have existed in the state, you know, um, or new ones that have cropped up recently, like Belmont Trail Collective, but it's also comprised of, you know, many, many partners that we're, we're aware of, you know, Angus, McCusker, Katrin, Maloney, and, um, you know, having, having them involved with the Velamont Trail, like, it just helps to further our mission as well, because now we can start to link up to other uh, chapters across the state to provide that, that connectivity component that we want. But you're also chatting with the Vermont Youth Conservation Corps right now to try to figure out uh, a way to scale up, you know, efficiently. And so they've got a ton of expertise working in the backcountry in remote locations. And um, so that's a new, you know, emerging partnership that we're excited about. Um, they also have a long history of working here in Vermont. So yeah, as far as, you know, within our organization, it's still just Devin and I and our board. Um, but, you know, there's myriad other um, organizations and, and individuals who are a part of the, the greater movement. Yeah, and one other, um, one other, we do technically have a group of members at this point. So we have a, a small, not small, but we have a membership base where folks can get that, uh, get their early access into bookings for huts at this point, as well as in the future, we're working to get some other discounts and some other swag and deals going for them as well. Um, but those are avid, I would say those are largely just avid supporters of the organization and the mission. And I think, you know, more, more, almost more encouraging sometimes in the direct partnerships are the people that actually believe in the mission and believe in us and what we're doing. And I think that mission of, of wanting to create four season year round recreation in Vermont and, and allowing easy access for both folks to get outside and, and enjoy nature through the use of huts. Um, I think that really speaks to a lot of people. And that's, I think it's just been overwhelming from day one, just the amount of kudos, thumbs up, high fives that we get on a regular basis for, you know, driving that mission and, and, and going in that direction. So, you know, we certainly thank all those people who do support us in that way as well. And um, yeah, we, we just look for, of course, any any outdoors people that you know loves Vermont, I think is a is a good candidate to also be a supporter too. For sure, yeah, Devin. I mean, this is a great point, Devin. Like, I'm glad you mentioned that because we're like I I often think about it like we're we're just the conduit for all of that energy through which that energy flows, and you know we're kind of like directing and guiding it, but like ultimately we're you know we're we're just kind of channeling that energy uh, to make make these things happen, and with without the energy behind it, it just doesn't really exist. Um, and, you know, of course the support and partnerships with the land managers, Green Mountain National Forest, Vermont Forest Parks and Rec, like they're critical players as well. Like it's not, it's not just those who recreate, it's the land managers who you know, can give access and have conversations with us and help guide our decision-making process. So there's, there's so many more people than, than Devin and I. Um, and it's, it's fun to be, fun to be a part of it. Um, not to mention like the, the fun businesses in Vermont who like support us like Lawson's and OGE. I mean, um, just a lot of, a lot of people making it happen. For sure. So you've mentioned the Belmont trail project a few, a number of times now. So how, how important are like long trail, like one, maybe do you want to tell us more about what the Belmont is just in case people don't know. And then also how important are like these long trail systems like the Belmont or the long trail or the Catamount trail to what you guys are hoping to accomplish, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years? Well, Devin, yeah, do you mind if I snag this one since I- Yeah, please, <laughs> um, go for it. <clears throat> uh, sorry, and, and feel free to cut me off at any point. Um, but what the Velamont Trail is effectively is not a new trail. It's a, it's a connection of existing networks across the state. Um, so, uh, it, it's, it's kind of um, an opportunity to bring Vermonters and visitors into local communities and then back into the forest along their adventure, right? So imagine biking or, or running or even skiing in some sections um, where it overlaps with the Catamount Trail. Um, 
you know, into Rochester, for example, um, go to Sandy's, grab a, grab a sandwich and a snack, and then continue pedaling up the hill to the Chittenden Brook Hut. And then the next day you bike down into Pittsfield and grab lunch at the general store. So the Velamont Trail is, a, uh, think of it as a lower elevation, uh, long trail, primarily built for mountain biking, um, but a multi-use to multi-use standards. Um, and again, and again, it's not necessarily a, tr a new trail. It's a, it's a, it's a new route. You're basically facilitating a route from Massachusetts to Canada by connecting existing trail systems. Yeah, there will definitely be new trail constructed. Sure. Yeah, no, there, but I mean, yeah. but you're, you're looking at existing trail systems. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, large, a good chunk of the Velamont trail, like already exists, right? Exactly. Um, but we need to make those connections with new trail. Yeah. And I can give you my opinion about what, what those long distance trails mean to, to me personally and to Vermont, but I think with, with these end-to-end -end trails, you provide new points of access to the community surrounding them and it's a, it's a draw for them. It, you know, uh, economic driver to, you know, the health impacts that it creates for those communities. Um, yeah, I could go on and on about that, but maybe Devin has something to add to that. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just add in that, you know, I think the one thing that especially end-to-end -end trails do really well is create this concept of a journey, right? You're starting in one location, ending in another. And just like all good movies, right, you're, you're taking on a journey that has its ups and its downs. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's all about the adventure along the way. And I, I know it's extremely cliche to say it. I'm almost embarrassed I just said that. But the idea, right, the concept is that you're creating this adventure by a multi-day adventure that's taking you through various sceneries through wild places. And, you know, that idea, I think really draws people in. And the fact is for, for years and years, obviously there's been the catamount trail and the long trail being able to accomplish those specific sport disciplines. Um, but now with the, the Velamont trail, you're, you're getting kind of that, that third discipline of, of being able to mountain bike, which, you know, there's been a lot of people for years also doing, kind of this underground bike packing route that followed kind of a similar route with roads and where places they probably shouldn't be biking to. So it'll be nice to actually facilitate that, that type of behavior and get people to actually be on this, um, you know, this state long trail. So it's all just part of um, just creating great recreational opportunities in Vermont is what it comes down to. And I think the best, the, the, the better we can all do to, to integrate these different trails and these huts and tie them together and make cohesive experiences, you know, everybody's going to benefit from it at the end. Now, are you guys looking at, when you guys look at these long trail systems, like, you know, where the long trail, the Catamount trail and the Belmont trail potentially overlap, I would imagine those are kind of like, you know, critical areas where a hut makes perfect sense because you have potential year-round users kind of accessing it, depending on how remote the location is. Um, and so does that, I mean, I imagine that plays into your kind of like strategy for prioritizing location, hot locations. Yeah, no, definitely. You want to, I mean, ideally we, we cite any new hut in an area that's seeing a high level of, of usage already. So we're not trying to create um, a new massive network and a hut somewhere, right? Ideally, you, you place them where they're, like you said, is that overlap. Um, and so you're not necessarily creating a huge amount of impact, uh, new impact in any one spot. There's definitely gonna be waypoints though, along the trail, the corridors, right? Like where there's, there's really nothing nearby and, but it's too far between the next like higher level uh, area of impact and you, you need a, a waypoint hut there. So those huts would probably be a, a little, little simpler in design than Chittenden Brook and um, maybe lower capacity since they would probably see a little less usage. But um, yeah, location, location, location. And that's why we partner so closely with Bellamont Trail Collective. And we talk to you guys at the Catamount Trail and uh, Keegan over at the Green Mountain Club. So um, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, you, Devin, you mentioned adventure. And when we, I don't know if you recall, but when we were first getting started, we made this like this promo video and Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dune, uh, Dune Hendricks down in Rochester had a great quote and he was asked, you know, what, what would a, uh, we were calling it, it wasn't even called Bellamont trail back then. It was called, what would an end to end mountain biking trail supported by a hut network um, 
mean for, for Vermont? And I think Doom put it pretty well. He said, it would make people say to themselves, I'm going to go to Vermont and I'm going to have an adventure. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we're trying to create and making it more accessible to more people, including beginners and families. Awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> so, uh, especially having gotten into bikepacking in the last few years, like, you know, the idea of you can just cover so much, like, no offense to winter, but you know, <laughs> summer and fall travel is much, much more comfortable. You don't have to carry as much stuff. And I mean, I've been on three winter bikepacking trips already this year, so I'm not opposed to camping in the winter, but summer <laughs> camping and fall camping is much more comfortable. Um, but so let's talk about the huts for a little bit themselves. So you have Chittenden Brook Hut. Um, that's the only hut that you guys currently own and operate. The other seven huts that are in the system are kind of are owned by other people, but are rented rented through the Vermont Huts Association platform. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's uh, three three of those other eight. Three of those other seven are rented through us. The others have their own separate platform. We do help though to market and promote and connect people with those. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And then, and then as far as your huts go, like in future hut builds, do you have like a, are there, are there a variety of like, you know, formats or, you know, you know, it seems like you have the Chin and Brook hut is one thing. There's, there's no, there's nobody there manning it. You're kind of on your own, but it's a really nice location. Do you have smaller kind of models and larger models kind of in mind? Yeah, I, I can speak to that just at least for a second, RJ, and then certainly feel free to chime in. But um, yeah, I think, you know, Chittenbrook Hut is interesting because that was designed around, you know, eight to 10 person capacity. And at the time, obviously, this was all pre-pandemic as well. I think we were thinking, you know, people are going to want to gather, like they're going to want to go ski hard with their friends, right? They're going to want to go into this structure and just hang out and then go do some laps and then play games at night. And And we were that intent for that size of a structure is designed around groups of people. I think the pandemic has not to say it's changed our, our opinions at all, but I think it's made us more aware that we should have more variety of structures and sizes within our network as we build them moving forward. That said, I mean, I think several of the structures do vary in size currently in our network, but of course those were built by partners. We didn't have a choice in, in how many people could actually stay in them necessarily. So moving forward, I know we, we've definitely thought a lot about how, what capacity of structures should be and, and thinking about, again, kind of alluding to what RJ said earlier with sites that might potentially be really popular, maybe those should have higher capacities overall for, for groups of people potentially, if, if we get back to that point or certainly pods, if you know people are quarantining safely and, and still able to travel as groups. But we're trying to think through different ways of how to be able to just diversify the offerings. So, um, but I generally think the minimum size at this point is probably going to be two people, maybe four. Um, I don't think we'll end up like Colorado with a one person uh, shanty. <laughs> do, you, do you guys think you would ever build like a two or four person structure? Sorry. Would you guys ever, would you guys ever build a two or four person structure or is that just something, I mean, I know you have some structures in your network right now that are, uh that are smaller three four people i think are some of the smallest and then yeah triple creek is four people that's a partner hut yeah mm -hmm. but would you guys build something that size is that would that make sense for you or, or would you guys be focusing on like larger capacities well i guess it's important to note large right um sure yeah uh large for us would be like 15 people <laughs> yeah okay. um and i i think the the smaller huts would be like i was saying like one of the like a waypoint kind of thing and you know, I think there's a fun, like, Greg, I mentioned this to you a while back, and I, Devin and I loosely chatted about it, but, like, I think there's an opportunity to figure out something along the Catamount Trail where we have, like, these smaller huts along the CT to allow people to keep going on it, but not, you know, keep them, like, super primitive, and so that's something that we're playing with, like, and need to develop more, but right now, we're like, focusing on that 8 to 15 person capacity huts. Yeah. Well, and also just as like from a bikepacking perspective or even a skiing perspective, like you don't necessarily know if you're, say you were going from like, you were starting at Massachusetts in the Massachusetts border and you're going to the Canadian border, like you might have some idea of where, when you're going to be someplace, but that can, we all know that can change right. really quickly. <laughs> yeah. And so is there, are there plans at some of these sites to have like, 
tenting space or other spots where you can kind of have, you know, cause a lot of the, a lot of the state parks and stuff will have, you know, if you're a bike packer and you roll in, there's this, you, they'll let you set up wherever, um, you know, you don't have to make a reservation ahead of time or worry about that, the, worry about the sites all being sold out. Right. Well, there's a couple of things that come into play when you think about adding like tent sites or walk-in reservations, right? Like there's so many different operational uh, considerations to, to like work through at each, each spot. And there, um, there's definitely a, a place for it. And I think it, I think it's possible. It's also critical to have these conversations with the land managers to see like, do they want to add that additional, um, additional impact to a, a vicinity? Also, um, when you book a hut, in most instances, unless it's in um, a shared use structure, which is where you interact with other parties, which isn't happening now, but when the COVID, when COVID ends, it will happen. Um, you're, you're, you're booking your, your bed or the hut under the assumption you have, like that's the only structure or, or like human uh, place of uh, sleeping overnight within a, an expected distance, right? And so when you start dispersing like other tenting areas or maybe even like a smaller pod hut nearby, the experience changes. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it changes and we just need to consider stuff like that. Sure. <clears throat> just curious about the, uh, the like more flexible camping options. Cause like, that's always a concern with, you know, some of these, some of the experiences we're trying to facilitate. It's one thing if you're gonna, if you're going to schedule out like a three day trip, right. And, uh, you know, you can, you can build in some kind of buffers there to ensure that you're where you need to be right. and the times you need to be to, regardless of what happens. But when, if you're planning a longer trip, then, you know, that it's harder to manage all of those logistical challenges. And so we all, we've all been on these types of trips. So we all know how <laughs> quickly they go awry I'm doing almost, it. Almost, almost every time. <laughs> So, um, yeah no it's it's all yeah i don't know it, it seems like this great opportunity and i'm just i guess i'm just curious to see yeah I, totally yeah additional impacts there's so many other considerations as well but if I, I would love yeah i would love for it to happen there's there's um yeah there's just a lot to consider and i think we have to really think it through and come up with a, a plan and um it'd be nice to have groups interacting with one another and have a little flexibility in any one individual's plan. Um, that said, the hut is like, at least the, the ones on public land are required to allow um, passers-by in if they're in distress, right? If it's a, if it's a blizzard outside or if like, if the temperature drops and you're like hypothermic, it's in our operational plan to like provide shelter for these humans if they're in a bad place. Cool. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, and so it sounds, you've already said, you've already mentioned how COVID's kind of affected. Have you guys had any other challenges or have, have has COVID any unexpected uh, benefits of a pandemic? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we actually, uh, I, I think not to, not to completely attribute uh, reservations to COVID by any means, there's certainly been high demand for the structures all along, but I think COVID actually has ramped them up in a way, especially I would say some of the smaller structures too, because they just have people, people can go there and feel like they're safe and, and still meet some quarantine requirements uh, that the state requires as well, assuming that they can, you know, meet quarantine requirements that the state provides, they can still go stay at the structures, which I don't think a lot of people know at this point, but those that have have definitely been taking advantage of it. So you know, if anything, I think COVID has actually kind of bolstered that because now you're you're no longer in this public hotel like in downtown Burlington, right, where you're going to be passing by 30 people to get to your room. You're in a, a secluded structure that that's on its own and people really like that. Um, I do also think the the uprising of, you know, like Instagram and, and uh, you know, that hashtag cabin life is like helping drive some of that interest too, because people are now looking out, looking out for these types of structures and they're finding them with us. So, so sure. that's been great. And I feel like the staycation is something that's, you know, risen up right. in the pandemic, like Vermonters that just, you know, like my wife and I, we've, I know it's hard to get a, find to get a reservation because 
they're all we've looked <laughs> for places yeah. to go with our two kids like we're, we need to get out of Burlington <laughs> and we've looked at the Vermont huts to see if there were any openings that so it's yeah. like that would feed into yeah just like people finding this stuff like the explore your own backyard type of mentality you know what I mean a lot of people are kind of like digging into rec outdoor recreation is is definitely on people's minds and you know people aren't traveling very far so they're looking for what's out their backyard what's in their backyard so. right greg did you sign up for the the newsletter cancellation notices because that's a thing now <laughs> i know i i think i i get enough newsletters i i see your posts anyway so i usually try and share them when they come up um, posts go out after the newsletter though so. I, I, yeah okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll consider it <laughs> That's a call to action for anybody watching or listening in to uh, go to vermonthuts.org and sign up for our last minute cancellation notifications. So that way you will be notified the minute that uh, a booking is canceled and you might be able to swipe it up. As long as you currently meet state guidelines for quarantining, you can, uh, you can book it. So yeah, that's a call to action. Nice. Awesome. So what what is what are the next two years? What are you guys hoping to? What do the next two years look like for you guys? And then maybe beyond that, what is the next? What is, what's the next five years look like? Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, I think alluded to a little earlier, we're we're kind of in the scaling up phase right now, and it means uh, more partnerships, uh, greater and stronger collaboration with those partners, um, but also adding capacity to like our, our ability to get projects to a point where they're shovel ready <clears throat> and then identify, you know, the contractor or partner organization, uh, perhaps VYCC to, to build those. So um, we, you know, want to get to a point where we're able to build multiple huts in a year. And that means doing a lot of permitting work up front. And so, that's kind of the, the goal of the next next two years is to, to set, you know, to, can you, to continue to grow that foundation to a point where, okay, we know in year three from today, we will be able to build four or five huts. And in year four, five, and six, we can, we can sustain that, that growth to the point where we get to 30 to 45 huts um, in the next seven to 10 years. Um, that's, that's an evolution that, um, has drastically increased. Um, we, we've we've shrunk the timeline, and we're optimistic that we can do it. So you're looking. So you're kind of focusing right now on on establishing, like basically doing all the permitting, laying the found the foundation for a project to be ready to go, and then assuming you have you've done the fundraising, you have the money to like move forward with it, then pull the trigger and do that. Basically. And then as much of that foundation as you can lay, you could have 10 projects ready to go, but you might only be able to fund two or three of them and then just kind of like check them off as they go along. Yeah, we're looking into other, you know, funding opportunities as well. Um, you know, that historically, you know, you you have a capital campaign, you fundraise for a hut. It's a it's a mix of, of grants and, and membership dollars, hut revenue uh, that can be poured into a new hut, which we didn't really have at Chittenden Brook Hut, but we can use that now um, as, as revenue for a new structure. And then, you know, your private uh, philanthropic giving, but there's, um, there's growing, like within recreation, there's a, a growing uh, presence of impact investors who, who can help us potentially unlock larger federal and state grants by meeting that match component. And oftentimes there's, there's federal grants that, you know, the match is, 20%, but 20% of a few million dollars is a lot of money for a nonprofit. And so uh, we're trying to just get creative and figure out ways to, you know, um, increase the, the funding opportunities so that when we have those shovel ready projects, we can actually build them in that, in that time frame. Yeah, I'll, I'll tie into one other thing I know we've, we've been talking about a lot recently is, is trying to make sure our systems are in place as we're getting ready to scale up. So beyond permitting, I think we're also looking at our membership uh, database tools and even our website and, and our email management. We're trying to figure out how we can streamline some of these systems. I think we got started, you know, five years ago and, and we just kind of pieced all this together as we were going and learning. But now that we, we have enough experience under our belts, we know, okay, this works, but this doesn't. 
let's uh, yeah, let's streamline systems and just get everything to be a little bit more consistent. So, you know, I know one of my tasks outside of a launching new website <laughs> coming up March, March, 2021 next month, um, you know, outside of that, I, I know that we've got some other, we, we've got some other systems-based work to be doing, um, like cleaning up databases and uh, looking at just trying to create a cohesive system that's going to work for us, which is also really hard as a, as a nonprofit, because I think the perfect system is one that's not actually created, but it, it's, you know, we'd have to build it ourselves, which is a lot of time and a lot of money that, you know, we, I don't think we have either at this point. So, you know, let's, uh, yeah, we got to try and find some systems out there that we can adapt to what we need. So we'll, we'll continue to be struggle, struggle with that for a while, I'm sure, but we'll, we'll need to at least improve the systems that we have at this point. So. For sure. So are those, those systems upgrades or improvements, are, are those to kind of streamline the process for management, managing this resource, like the Vermont huts and kind of like free up time and increase your capacity to do other meaningful work or are, are parts of it related to kind of user experience or a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. And I mean, the unfortunate reality, like I, I alluded to it earlier, you know, we are indirectly competing with Airbnb and VRBO, right? But very hyper-specific structures, but they're, they're essentially our competition. Um, not that we obviously can necessarily compete with them, right? And it's a bit of a mission-driven focus, very different from them, but- They can't uh, compete with us. Yeah, 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 exactly. We're, we're too hot to handle. They can't keep up with us. But, you know, uh, but specifically, I mean, this idea that, and I, I hate to go off into a marketing tangent just for a second, but so much of 2021 now is just focused on the user experience and stream making things fast and easy and frictionless for people. And Airbnb and VRBO, they've set a high bar for, you know, having a seamless experience between their website and, and their mobile apps and, you know, reservations and just how systems work on their side. I think I would love in, you know, five to 10 years from now to have a perfect seamless database with, you know, uh, you know, running, running the website and a mobile app that folks can actually reserve on the fly. But, you know, that's, that's, it's easier said than done. They have, you know, millions of dollars and hundreds of developers be able to work on that regularly. So we do not have that luxury. So we will try to do the best we can with the tools that we have. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, to Devin's point, a perfect world, you'd be able to, you know, you can make, obviously make your reservation online now. That's fine and easy or on your phone. But it'd be nice to have your, your adventure package um, kind of at your ready and cancel, update, um, add, add an additional night at your, you know, at your hut or, uh, schedule another night, all, all very seamlessly. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a, it seems simple in the 21st century here in 2021, but it's really damn hard and expensive. So, um, we'll figure it out. Just give us, give us a couple years. Yeah, the emphasis on expensive, by the way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, we're in the kind of the same boat. Like we, you know, a few years ago, it's probably longer, longer ago than that, but we changed, you know, CRMs, database systems. And, you know, it's a process to like learn a new system for the staff. And then you immediately start noticing shortcomings. And so like, if you don't build, if you're not building something specific to your needs, there's always kind of a give and take. And then you always end up having to work around those things. And, you know, none of us have, a team of a hundred developers with a, you know, hundred million dollar budget to like say, build this perfect thing for us, you know, and yeah. maintain it. And maintain it. <laughs> so. Yeah. And you know, what's challenging too, is that it, it, the structures are just, we're such a unique organization in what we do and what we offer. Like some people just don't get it, you know, like even, even something as simple as, you know, looking at listings on Google maps, as an example, like Google, I've, I've had to literally fight Google support on this before because like they just do not understand that we cannot have our structures listed on Google Maps properties because of the fact that they need to be booking it through, you know, our booking engine and our website. But they're just like, it's a structure that people have gone to and you can reserve it. So we're going to put it on the map. We're like, no, no, no. Think of it like Airbnb. Like you're not going to list everybody's homes on Google Maps just because they're using Airbnb. Think of us just like that. Uh, but it, it's a fight that we're going to battle for a while. So yeah, it's, it's um, unfortunately, I think a lot of it will, until we get to the perfect day, it's going to be, you know, trying to just piecemeal different systems together, but hopefully one day we can have uh, good unified systems with, you know, maybe a developer that can help bring this all together and, and customize it to what we need to, but 
we'll see. I just want to say that if anyone's listening, like we don't have like a million spreadsheets with all your information stored on it. Like we're actually very professional and like we use Salesforce uh, as the world's like biggest CRM and best and Stripe processes all of your payments and you can do it all online. And it's none of that information is saved and stored. So it's more just getting these systems to talk to one another better. Um, So don't, don't be scared if if you're Okay, credit card numbers jotted down on paper here. It's like all over your your, yeah. your second bedroom. <laughs> uh, all jokes aside, it's it's something that like we in Devon in particular has set up like some really good safe measures, and we had a um, uh, Alec Brecker who did the development of our um, membership platform to integrate with Stripe and Salesforce is a professional uh, web developer. Um, so. Luckily, he did it pro bono for us because that, that was something that we definitely uh, could not have afforded in those early, early days of our existence. But um, yeah, we, you know, it's just about getting things to run more seamlessly. One more call out, I guess, if there are any developers that are listening and looking for good pro bono <laughs> projects, reach out. There you go. You know who to find now. <laughs> so we're, we're approaching an hour. Um, is there anything else you guys want to tell people that might be listening to this? Uh, about the Vermont Huts Association. Um, and if somebody wanted to get more involved with the Huts Association, how, what are the ways they can do that other than uh, offering their development services? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll speak to the last one, I guess. Um, certainly check us out at vermonthuts.org is the best place to find out more information about us. Um, we have opportunities to volunteer when we do have COVID-friendly uh, volunteer days. I don't think we have any planned currently, but we, we generally do try to drum up volunteers. So that's a great way to get involved. Um, certainly becoming a member of the organization, which, you know, definitely helps our organization grow and, and gives a little bit of consistent revenue, which can help us in that way. But of course, you also get some great benefits involved as well. And even just booking, staying at the huts and, you know, certainly sharing it with your friends and family is, is another great thing. I think we've found that we're good and we have a we have a pretty good base of Vermonters that are familiar with our organization. But I think, you know, over the next few years, you know, and especially once some of these state guidelines become a little more eased up, um, you know, I think we'll really want to be focusing on on sharing more messaging to New England and, and getting other folks from outside the state to come in and enjoy uh, the Vermont beauty, because that's part of why we created the, the whole organization in the first place, right? Just get people outside and they don't have to be just Vermonters to enjoy the network. So uh, yeah, that definitely speaks to the, I think the last part. Yeah, that's great, Devin. I, I would add um, for folks who are like, if anyone's gonna watch this and, and they, you know, I mean, I'm sure they are, but for people who watch are watching it or may watch it in the future that don't know like what a hut is and like what we're even talking about here, we're building little cabins in the, in, the, in the forest and we're doing that. So you have places to stay along your adventure or you just have a base camp for the night or a couple nights. And it creates a new point of access for beginners, families. It, it's, a, it's a stepping stone for, for those individuals, but it's also a base camp for experts and people who have been staying in the, in the wilderness for, for years and years. So it really caters to anyone and everyone. Um, the stuff that we build on public land and any of our new huts for that matter are ADA accessible. Um, we're really trying to um, make these huts available to everyone. And you know, our mission is to create an enriching and immersive outdoor experience for everyone. So that's really what we're trying to do here. And we've started a, a program last year forest program and partnered with the Catamount Trail Association to bring underrepresented youth into the Chittenden Brook Hut for a whole weekend of instruction and free gear rental. Thank you again, CTA and VHCB for providing a small grant to make that happen. But the huts are about bringing people together in a space where they can share stories, talk about their adventures and enjoy a warm meal without freezing their butts off. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like I said before, like we're excited at the Catamount Trail Association that, that you guys are doing what you're doing. My wife and family, we're excited for what you guys are doing. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's just like a great thing to have 
here in Vermont, here in the East Coast, for that matter. You know what I mean? Like, you know, down the road, once if you, you know you are successful in building out this network, um, it's going to be such a great resource for you know this part of the part of the country for sure. Um, so you um, before we leave, you you uh, Devin, you alluded to some member membership benefits. So first, do you need to be a member to rent a hut? No, you do not. But if you are a member, what are some of the benefits that you get? The biggest one, and I would say probably the most crucial at this point, is the fact that you will get the opportunity to book a hut uh, usually one week in advance of the general public. Uh, we've been toying around with that exact length of time, but that's, I mean, honestly, that's huge because we saw this past winter that even members took up a good percentage of the reservations and it was within uh, within a matter of a few hours of actually opening that up. So it's not to, we're not trying to make the membership exclusive, of course, and we do want the public to be booking these huts, but they get first choice. And so that's certainly, a, I would say, a big benefit of that. Um, that and discounts on actual hut reservations, as well as uh, branded swag, which I'm actually not wearing one, so I don't know why I did that. Uh, so yeah, uh, so good stuff there. And we, like I mentioned before, we are going to be trying to add more benefits as we continue to go along um, as well. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, well, I would say early access and discounts are pretty significant considering how difficult it can be to, to get the dates you want. So I mean, really, you will end up I mean, the cost of the actual membership is not that much. It's $35 for an individual or 65, 75. I don't even remember now. Um, but I mean, for a family. 65, that's right. But you, you pretty much make that, you can make that up within nearly a single reservation, if not maybe two, depending on, you know, which huts you're at and, and dates and times. So it's, it's almost a no brainer. Well, personally, I would say you're, the prices are so reasonable already that it doesn't like you, you make it, you easily make it up within the first reservation. If you get, yeah. if you get the date you want the first time you're, it's worth it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, one last, since we're talking about membership, I can just say that uh, March 15th is when we'll be opening for member reservations um, for this coming spring and summer. So that'll be mid April through um, mid October. And then on March 22nd, uh, reservations will open to the general public. So we'll be sending out stuff, announcing that in the coming weeks. But um, you've, you've heard it here first, thanks to, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and prior to that, it sounds like there's going to be a new website as well, right? Is that going to be? Yes. New website goal is... to precede the uh, <laughs> res spring reservations? Yeah. You know, I think my goal is to have it launch, you know, just within just a few days before that reservation opens. So uh, yeah, no pressure on me at all, but it should be fine. <laughs> Devin's got it. Luckily, yeah, Devin will handle it just fine. Um, well, and it's good and news. Now, now that it's public, I guess I, now I have to get it launched before March well, 15th. If you, so if, you need thanks a lot. Test, if you need somebody to test the reservation system prior to you know, opening reservations, <laughs> ah. you know, I'll, I can, I, I'll volunteer my services. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, sounds uh, good thanks for the help appreciate no it <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to give one more shout out to our partner operators i don't i feel like we talk about them acknowledge them but you know the network you know we're going to build new huts over the years to come but we're also going to partner with with new operators inevitably across the state but the ones that we have that signed on early in the beginning that like put faith in us as an organization to, to do this and do it well um, you know, it was a bit of a leap of faith for them because they very easily could have listed on HipCamp or any of those other bigger platforms, um, but they chose us and that's awesome. So um, thanks to, you know, you know, Crow's Nest and Triple Creek and Nelhegan Hut and the other, um, you know, pre-existing Green Mountain Club and uh, Merck Forest uh, structures that we helped to promote. But yeah, they're, they're all part of the equation and um, I think they'll continue to play a bigger part as we enter more private uh, land in the northern part of the state. Great. <clears throat> and so, and if people, if there, if somebody has a hut or a structure that they are interested in use, utilizing in this way and renting out, they just can get, they can get in touch with one of you guys and you guys can help them walk them through the process and see if it's right for them. Yeah, on our website, there's a pretty easy spot for, um, you know, folks who might be interested in, in uh, becoming a member, member uh, or becoming an operator. Um, they can reach out to us through there or certainly email us info at vermonthuts.org. Great. Well, thanks guys. Um, if you guys don't have anything else to add, I think we'll, 
we'll wrap this up. Uh, I want to thank everybody for that might be out there watching for tuning in. Um, you know, again, this is part of the Catamount Trail Chatter series. We're hoping to keep this going. Uh, next week, we'll be taking a break, but we'll be back the following week with uh, some representatives from our Youth and Ski Cubs programs to talk about their work in the, the recent years and uh, how that part of our, the Catamount Trail Association is kind of helping kind of grow access and increase diversity within the outdoors. So uh, tune in then. Um, Devin and RJ, thank you again. Uh, good luck with the next few years. Uh, we'll definitely, my wife, my family and I will definitely be staying with you guys uh, if we can get, <laughs> if we can get the dates. All right, guys. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah. you, Greg. Always good to chat. All right. And we're out.